Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Haley Wooden. In advance of what most analysts believe will be another interest rate hike from the Bank of Canada, we take a look at how leveraged Canadian households are later on in the show. And BIV is once again looking to recognize BC's outstanding entrepreneurs, executives, managers, and professionals in public, private, and nonprofit sectors who are ahead of their time. Nominations for the 2018 40 Under 40 Awards close July 30th. Visit BIV.com slash events for all those details. A range of innovative, disruptive technology has emerged to provide financial services and systems that conduct transactions and aim for greater efficiency. You can join BIV September 13th for our fintech panel, where we'll focus on how to help small and medium-sized businesses make informed decisions in this new landscape. For more information, go to BIV.com slash events. Coming up next, the CEO of Royal LePage. He reviews the firm's latest house price survey. Interesting results, especially for us Vancouverites. The market may have been a bit quieter on the sales front, but condo prices in Greater Vancouver rose by double digits across the region this spring compared with last year. The latest house price survey from Royal LePage looks at price activity quarter to quarter as well as year over year. And joining us with greater insight into the report is Phil Soper, CEO of Royal LePage. Joining us on the line from Toronto, Phil, good to have you with us. Great to be here. We saw a nearly 18% increase in condo prices in Vancouver, more than 25% in Surrey. Help us understand what's contributing to what seem like fairly significant price gains year over year. You know, it's a a flight to affordable regions. If if you look at the differential in prices in the city or the North Shore versus some of the suburbs, uh, they're pretty significant. And it's also why right across Canada, including the lower mainland, there's been a real surge in interest in condominium living because it just allows families to to own a home at a much more affordable price point. The big deal that people are keeping their eyes on are the fact that sales that we have witnessed them uh, drop off uh, to a certain degree in this region, but prices keep going up and and people are seeing a bit of a disconnect here. From your standpoint, can can you kind of uh, fill us in about why there is that disconnect going on between sales as well as prices? It can't last forever, but on a short-term market correction, what happens is when demand falls off, so Say, for example, with the introduction of the first foreign buyer tax, people backed out of the market, uh, many of them not impacted directly by the tax, but they were just concerned about the potential impact on house prices. So they back out, demand falls. But also sellers go, this is a lousy time to sell. So the number of homes listed for sale drop precipitously. And you get this call it uh, even drop, almost like synchronized swimmers, where there's less homes for sale and less demand for those homes. So people are surprised. They go, uh, you know, volumes are off 20 or 30 percent, but prices are flat, or in the case of condominiums in the suburbs, they're up. This doesn't make sense. And it, it actually does. When you get down and look at the actual numbers on the supply side and the actual number on the demand side, I say it can't last forever. 
because eventually the uh, sellers may need to sell. It may not be an option anymore. Uh, they just don't want to hang on to that big house for kids have left home or they relocate for work or the family situation changes, whatever. And then they do sell and they have to sell at the market price. And that could well be lower. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting in our region watching what happens in the single detached home market, not seeing the same kinds of price gains either condos are seeing or what single detached homes were seeing a couple of years ago. What's going on there now? Single detached homes were the property of choice during the, the big run up in the middle of the decade. So we had some years when uh, prices for single detached homes across the lower mainland were increasing by 20, 25% in a single year. So, clearly decoupled from the underlying uh, economy. Wages and salaries weren't going up at that rate. So if, if you look at areas where there have been overshooting, in other words, where uh, prices got ahead of the underlying economy, it, it takes some time for people to catch up, for buyers to catch up. And that's what's happening in the detached sector uh, in, in Vancouver and the greater Vancouver area. Mm-hmm. And I think for, in terms of aggregate home price, West Vancouver finally had their first positive quarter in more than a year with the rise of uh, close to 4%. What does this rise, the first we've seen in some time, indicate to you? West Van is the most expensive city in the roll of page house price crops that looks at 63 uh, urban uh, regions across Canada. Uh, it, it, I, I sometimes draw a comparison between West Van and, and Moncton on the East Coast. You can buy now 15 of the benchmark two-story roll-of-page homes in Moncton for one in West Van. Wow. So it is expensive. It's, it's uh, well, it's our most expensive city. And uh, it is also spectacularly beautiful, as people who live there know and highly desirable, not just for Canadians, but like Manhattan real estate is globally sought after. People step back, though. Rich people don't get that way by being stupid. And when there are new taxes thrown at them, when there are uh, changes in the market, which unsettle prices, they step, step back and take a look. And they want to see where things are going. And while prices in West End, for example, have been soft for the last two years, they, they haven't materially dropped. So I believe what's happened is both uh, domestic, which make up the majority of the buyers, and international investors have said, okay, the, the softness in the market is either overplayed uh, or prices are going to start to rise again. I've always wanted to own a property there. They have the money, uh, and they're starting to reinvest. The big question I have, and I think a lot of younger people in this region have right now, is if we see all the prices, whether it's single detached homes and now condos as well, just flying upwards, where do people start now? You mentioned that kind of regional flight going outwards towards the suburbs. Are At some point, are people going to be commuting from Chilliwack all the way downtown Vancouver to work? What's going to happen here, Phil? It's a very good question. We we survey millennials who make up the majority 
of our first-time buyers. And we ask them what their intentions are uh, regarding housing. And, and interestingly, their their intention to own their home uh, scores just about the same as historically their parents, the baby boomers, were at it, 87%. Now, our, our home ownership rate nationally is about 69%. So there's a lot of aspirational uh, views in there, like they'd aspire to own a home. Uh, it's something that's important for them. Another interesting thing in this millennial intentions uh, study was that a full 61% said they would relocate for the ability to own a home. It's it's more pronounced among homeowners with uh, children uh, than it is homeowners overall, uh, but it is a, a significant number. We're actually seeing it in southern Ontario, we're seeing both retiring baby boomers and first-time homebuyers, young families, relocating from the greater Toronto area, where homes are much more expensive, to cities like London, Ontario, uh, Cambridge, uh, Windsor. Windsor, for example, the a two-story home can be had, the benchmark price, $245,000, whereas in Toronto, it's $1.2 million. So... People are saying, I can re-engineer my career around uh, the cost of living. I think we'll see some of that. We'll also see builders respond, and Vancouver is the first city in Canada that introduced the concept of micro-condos a few years ago now. But we'll see builders respond with product that will appeal to millennials. And the reason they need to is because that's who their customer is. It's like Apple selling a new phone. They can't pick who their customers are. They can't manufacture customers. Millennials represent the largest population cohort in Canadian history. There are more Canadian millennials than there are baby boomers. And so that is the future of the housing industry. And the industry has to adapt. And it has to find ways to make housing affordable not just in, you know, Calgary or China, but also in Vancouver and Toronto. Well, you know, Phil, one of my favorite things to do is put my co-host Haley Wooden on the spot. <laughs> and so I, I do recall, Haley, about a year, year and a half ago, you did get in on the condo market. I did. Are, are you feeling pretty good about it right now? Yeah, it feels great to be in the market, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Not having to get into it right now, though, that that is probably a bit of a relief, too. You, you did it, you know, when the market is still very hot, but I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of a tough experience for people that are just on the periphery at this moment. Oh, exactly. I'm Phil, I'm sure you have just as many stories, or if not more than I do, but going into situations, trying to bid on a reasonable home and, you know, it going for well over asking, sometimes five, six figures over asking, no subjects. It was a crazy time to get into the market. And one of the interesting things that we're talking about millennials, they came of age in a period of historically low interest rates, which we know are now right. on the rise. We're expecting a rate hike tomorrow. And depending on the bank you ask, some expect that this time next year, the benchmark rate could be a full percentage point higher. What kind of an impact is that going to have, Phil, on the market and on the younger demographic trying to get into the market? So people don't buy houses based on their sticker price. They buy them based on the carrying cost. In other words, they roughly, even if they don't believe they're doing it, they're roughly comparing paying a mortgage to paying rent. And they know if they pay a mortgage, they're building personal equity. And if they're 
uh, paying rent, it's just rent receipts seem to address. So when interest rates rise, it makes homes more unaffordable to use double A. And it will slow the market. However, we've got to remember that the benchmark interest rate now is at 1.25%. So we're talking about, and, and we, in our forecast that we just released today, we assumed that rates would go up tomorrow. So mm-hmm. it's built into our, our forecast by 25 basis points or a quarter of a percentage point to 1.5%. I talked to one of my predecessors. The, uh, his name was Gordon Gray. He was the CEO of Rula Page back in the early 80s. And he recalled standing in front of a room full of his uh, managers and saying, if we can just get interest rates, mortgage rates back to 17 or 18 percent, we can get wow. this market going again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in September of 1981, they peaked at 21 and a half percent. So when we're talking about the, the relative concern of moving from, say, obviously the bank rate's not the same as a mortgage rate, but say you've got a mortgage at two and a half percent and it goes up to two and three quarters. We're still at incredibly inexpensive money. And the nice thing for Canadians, and especially young Canadians, is inflation is not raising its ugly head. The reason we had 20% mortgage rates back then is because we had 12 and 14% inflation. Your paycheck just eroded every single week it was worth less. We've, inflation remains tightly controlled in the United States and Canada and Europe, and that is a beautiful thing because inflation is probably the ugliest economic uh, problem that uh, a world can have, and, and we've kept it at bay for, well, a generation. Yeah, anyone looking to get into the market or in the market is very thankful. We do not have 17, 18, thankfully not 21% interest rates. Uh (laughs) Phil, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Great to have you on. My absolute pleasure. Anytime. That's Phil Soper, CEO at Royal LePage. And higher home prices, we're just talking about them, but they're one reason why Canadians are more leveraged than ever before. And we're going to look at what the Bank of Canada's next rate decision may mean for households. Stay with us. Canadian households have taken on unprecedented levels of debt over the last year, in part, of course, due to escalating house prices. But this may be starting to change. A new report from DBRS argues that Canadian indebtedness is likely peaking. And joining us to explain why that may be is Maria Curry, Vice President of the Global Financial Institutions Group with DBRS. Maria, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. Before we get to discussing that peak, and I want to make sure we do get to that, why don't we start with when, why, and how we got into the climb toward the peak? Uh, Well, it's it's basically three factors are, are, and this is what we address in the report, are what drove 
um, Canadian households to uh, borrow more, and it's basically all environmental. So you have uh, you had um, declining interest rates, so that um, effectively um, gave people the ability to to borrow. Um, Canada's um, Canada did not suffer like the U.S. Uh, during the uh, 08 uh, recession. So um, household incomes were 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 actually uh, rising gradually, and then. And um, it's the, um, the rising prices of houses themselves that, that give um, people a, a higher sense of, of net worth. And, and this basically all of these factors together um, are what uh, drove uh, increased household indebtedness. Ultimately, are we in any sort of danger? Is there some sort of vulnerability that we can be exposed to as these debt levels climb? Right now, it seems that the, 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 it's, it's, it's peaking, as, as the title of the report says, it's a cresting wave. Um, the benign environment is changing. However, it's, it's changing slowly and, and, and um, I would say um, very cautiously and, and gradually if, if we go by um, the way the uh, governments are, are, are implementing um, uh, new mortgage rules or, or how the Bank of Canada is signaling before any interest rate rises. So it's very gradual. Uh, however, um, there are risks that if something abrupt happens to any of these uh, factors, there, there could be a, um, a more severe uh, correction. And as you know, we're living in very uncertain times when it comes to environmental factors that could affect Canada. Trade comes to mind, tariffs come to mind. How big of a shock would be necessary, Maria, to really tip the scales and cause a lot of problems here in Canada? So you would need a, a, a sort of combo of, of shocks, if you'd like, to, to, to really tip the scales. You, you'd need unemployment to, to rise rapidly. Um, you need to have a, a, a recession in the economy. So that there have to be several factors and, 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 let's say, rising interest rates that, that are rising more rapidly than what they are. So it will have to be a combination of, of factors that would lead to, to uh, sort of a, a severe correction in the housing market. Over the past year, we did see Ottawa introduce new measures with regards to mortgages. We had that stress test, of course. Is this a bit of an overreaction or is Ottawa on point making sure that we aren't going to find ourselves in a very difficult situation that maybe other countries experienced about a decade ago? Yeah, so I would say Ottawa's uh, new mortgage underwriting rules, the B20, um, came... Um, uh, the revised rules, because B20 existed before, um, are sort of a way to control what's going on in the market, control the the rapid growth without really disrupting the the disrupting market dynamics. And I I think it came um, it, it came at the right time. It came just as interest rates started rising. So it sort of gave consumers. Um, 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 sort of a reality check. Okay, how much house can I actually afford? Interest rates are rising, so I have to realize right now when I go in to get a mortgage, can I afford my mortgage in, in, in three or four years' time? Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, what got us to this point or a combination of external factors that consumers have responded to. I'm curious if maybe there's an element of consumers of their own volition, maybe easing back spending, maybe having some concerns about what's going to happen in the housing market. Are you seeing that? 
That's what actually we, we, we sort of uh, suspect that this should be happening because it, it, there's a lot of communication and transparency, I would say, from uh, governments both uh, at the federal and, and provincial levels, even the municipal levels in the cities of Toronto and Vancouver, where it's sort of uh, creating more more awareness to a, for a potential uh, um, um, mortgage uh, borrower. So that's helpful. People actually have to realize, okay, will my income um, be sustainable? Will my income growth be sustainable? Uh, can I afford my mortgage? Um, interest rates will rise. It, they won't keep on falling. So um, I think there's a lot of effort, and I, and, and I think consumers are, are beginning to realize that. We also think about maybe what policymakers, not just thinking about, say, the federal government, but uh, say the central bank as well, what they're going through their own thought processes here. Because, of course, we see these low interest rates. It's order to stimulate the economy. But there is a balance that they have to take in. Of course, they knew they do know that Canadians will become even more indebted. Have we found maybe a right balance over the last few years, ever since that oil shock? And we did see a lot of the interest rates fall down to rates we've not seen in a long, long time? Well, I can't really talk to whether it's found, they found a balance because they also have to consider what's going on in, in the U.S. Um, and, and rising rates in the U.S. So they, they've got many more factors that, that they have to um, um, think about before they actually take uh, rate decisions. Uh, but I think what... It, the the especially Bank of Canada is doing is is the transparency and the signaling to the market about intentions and about um, what they the course they plan to take that that's really helpful so it doesn't catch consumers off guard. Mm -hmm. We focus so much of the time on housing related debt on mortgages what interest rates rising will mean on that front. When it comes to other kinds of debt, though, and other kinds of consumer spending, where are we at? And, and are there signs that maybe the level of spending might be changing in those areas, too? Well, it's true. So, so mortgage, um, mortgage debt has been uh, rising, uh, but um, so, so has uh, other types of uh, consumer debt, so auto, uh, personal, um, student loans, etc. But um, it's not um it's not like um the US for example where where you see um um there's there's clear growth in those areas that superseded mortgage growth um for 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 it to really affect like the let's say financial institutions if there was a a, a correction in the market Mm -hmm. Let's say, hypothetically, Bank of Canada does raise rates, as many people expect, tomorrow. Are we at risk or are certain segments of the population at risk of being overextended by one rate hike like this? Well, it, it depends on, on uh, I, I guess, their, um, how stretched they are and, and, and um you know what their what their prospects are it's it's very hard for us to to uh predict that and and but one has to always think that the the main issue is uh, interest rates are, are rising from really low levels so an increase of of um a quarter of a percentage when your your actual interest rates is 1.25% is different than you know if we're at 3% and it's growing it's going up by uh by uh, 25 basis points so it's it's much different. 
We were just talking about in our last segment how interest rates were at 17, 18, 21% uh, not too, too long ago. That would be a different matter if we saw rates like that overnight in Canada. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's basically what, um, what, what we think would be a driver. It's, it's, uh, if interest rates doubled right now. Mm-hmm. There is a segment of the market that will definitely get affected, and there are mortgages that are coming to reset now that will definitely get affected. Um, but if with a gradual um, with gradual increases that are that are very well communicated to consumers, it's much more manageable. Mm-hmm. Maria, a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you guys. That was Maria Curry, Vice President of the Global Financial Institutions Group at DBRS. And that's it for our show today. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe and find past episodes on iTunes, Stitchers, and go to BIV.com where you can find the latest business news. And also, hey, if I may say so myself, pick up the print edition this week. It's looking really great. 